One of the joys of this past year for me has been going on college trips with my oldest daughter. Uh, some of you may know Miriam is a senior in high school, and so for the last seven or eight months, we have been talking a lot and planning a lot for what her life after graduation will look like. Part of that has been that we've looked at several different college campuses, and part of what I love about that is that you just get this time with her that we don't have a whole lot of anymore. You know, she's 18, she's in school, she has a job at a local restaurant on top of school, she's driving, she's out with friends, and so we just don't get a lot of time like we had when she was younger. And she's a great kid, but those of you who have an 18-year-old know that in the small windows of time you do have, it's not always the most in-depth of conversations that you're having, right? It's like you haven't seen her for nine hours that she's at school, and uh, how, how is your day-to-day? -day? Fine. And it's said in a way that doesn't invite more questions into that. So you're like, okay, and you go on. But these college visits have been a time where you just really get this kind of time together, right? Uh, in the car or uh, traveling or walking on a campus. And part of what I love about it is hearing her process what she likes and doesn't like about the different schools. Not just about the schools, but you get this insight into how she thinks, into what she's thinking about. And it's just, it's sort of wonderful. Now, one of the things about Miriam is she looks at uh, going forward is that she's real interested in uh, subjects and studies of sort of health uh, and kind of wholeness of whatever that might look like. And, and one of the ways that's played out in high school is in her choice of taking a second language in school. Her high school allows for American Sign Language to be one of the second languages you take, and second language are required, so rather than Spanish or French or German, Miriam's known since she was really young, she wanted to learn sign language, and so this is her fourth year of taking sign language, and she's basically fluent in it now. Um, she's had all of these amazing stories in the restaurant, for instance, where she works, of customers come in who are deaf that the, the rest of the staff can't help and Miriam can come out and communicate with them. Uh, she's had DoorDash drivers who have come in to the store who are deaf and she can communicate with them and help kind of work systems and work things out. Some really cool stories. And as she's taken sign language, she's also gotten involved uh, in high school in her sign language club. There's an ASL, American Sign Language Club, in her school, which actually has a lot of students in it. And they don't just like learn sign language or practice it, but it, it becomes about awareness and also advocacy for the deaf community uh, at their school and beyond. And so Miriam's become aware of all of the challenges that those with hearing impairments face in our society, and she's gotten very passionate about it, and I love that. I love her passion for it. I think it's important. We've realized as a family, because, it, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but because it doesn't affect us personally, we just don't, have never really thought about this before, but of the challenges that the deaf community face. So this one drive about six months ago, we're driving in the car, and she's talking about the ASL club, and she's talking about advocates, she's talking, and I like both think it's a great thing, but I also just love seeing my 18-year-old passionate about something and, and excited. And so I'm like cheering her on as I'm driving the car, and I'm like, yeah, that's right, and you should you know, fight for that, and you should go do that. And she's talking about her school and the things that they gotta do, and you're like, yeah, that's right. She's talking about society and the things that they do to exclude the deaf community. You're like, yes, you should kind of fight for that. And she goes, and you know the church is part of the problem as well. And I was like, <laughs> this was a very fun conversation when we were accusing all those people out there of not caring. And then you're driving the car going, don't you need to go on a social media app and like tune out for an hour? Like, let's change the subject. Don't we turn the radio on? She goes, no, no, I, Daddy, I've been learning that, that the percentage of deaf people involved in churches is far less than the general population. She said, you're a pastor. 
Not that that's a setup. Why do you think that is? And I gave her a non-answer. I'm sure there are a lot of reasons. It means nothing. It means nothing. She goes, you know, I've been thinking about it. I wonder what it would be like for someone who's deaf to come to a worship service at Covenant. How much would they be able to experience? What would it be like for them? I wonder when we call people to sign up for small groups, could a deaf person sign up for a small group at Covenant? Or what about a mission trip? Could they go to Cuba or Belize and participate in what's going on? I just wonder, she said, what it would be like if you were deaf to try to have access to Jesus and community at Covenant. And six months later, I'm still thinking about that. It's this like burr that's gotten under my skin. And it happened because she asked some questions. She didn't accuse me of anything. She didn't accuse the church of anything. She was just asking questions that she was wondering about. And questions, really hard questions, have a way of getting into your mind and under your skin and just dwelling there, don't they? It's far more uh, transformative than someone just attacking you and coming off the high ropes and saying, here's the answer. Questions have this ability to make us wrestle with it and think about it, and it just sticks with us over time as we're trying to process it. Great teachers know that. Great educators know that. That asking questions and getting people to really think about the answers is far more formative than just indoctrinating them with information and making them spit it out. Great mentors know that. If I think about the great mentors in my life who have really shaped and formed me, they didn't like tell me what to do and then inspect me to go do it. But they asked me questions about why I did what I did, why I said what I did, why I didn't do. And they make you sit in sometimes the discomfort of what your answer is. And those questions that you wrestle with shape and form you as nothing else can. This is an element of our faith as well that we don't think about very much. The Old Testament and the New Testament, there are a lot of questions that are asked of the world that we don't probably sometimes think about how important good questions are to God. Jesus, for example, in the four Gospels asks over 300 questions and answers relatively few in comparison. And sometimes the way he even answers questions is with parables, so it's not even like a direct answer. You have to wrestle with what he's saying is the meaning. He wants to shape and form us, not spit answers at us that we can repeat. For example, one of the most important moments in all of the Gospels takes place when Jesus is declared to be the Messiah for the first time. The first time, and it changes so much of everything. You remember that moment? Jesus is saying after the crowds are singing his praises to his followers, he says, who do people say that I am? Who do they say that I am? Peter says, well, some people say you're Elijah, and some people say you're like Moses. And then rather than Jesus going, now here's the answer, he looks at Peter and says, and who do you say that I am? Peter has to wrestle with that and for the first time says that he makes a claim that he is making on his own. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Savior, and it changes the trajectory of life in Peter's witness. Or take, for example, when Jesus encounters a person who's paralyzed, who's seeking help, and Jesus doesn't just enter in and start changing their life, but Jesus asks a question, and the first seems almost obvious. It seems weird. He says, do you want to be made well? Which sounds like this kind of strange question to ask someone, but if you sit with it, there's a lot of layers to it that are really important about how we answer that. Do you want to be made well? 
Or maybe when the Pharisees are trying to trip him up and debate him about something, and rather than answering the questions that they ask uh, directly and having a theoretical debate, he asks questions back. For example, after healing one person on the Sabbath, and they're all into like, the rules and the laws about it, he just says to them this, he goes, is it easier for the Son of Man to forgive someone of their sins or to tell them to stand up and walk? The Pharisees are like, whoa, you got to like go and huddle up and like think about it. And the crowd watches that happen and the power dynamics just starts changing. Jesus over and over again asks questions of people to shape and form them. And so rather than starting this new year with goals, plans, rules, laws, suggestions, I'd like us to start with some questions. Five questions are going to take place over the first five weeks. One question per week that the Bible asks, not my questions, the Bible asks these questions, for us to wrestle with, sit with, challenge us, inspire us to see what 2023 can really look like. And the first of those questions, which we're going to look at today, comes from the first question that actually exists in Scripture, from Genesis chapter 3. And it's the first question that God asks of humanity in the scriptures. And I invite you to listen to what God's word to us is today. They, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray no matter who we are or how we come in here today, that we would experience your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question that God asks of humanity in the Bible is the one that I want us to begin with today. Where are you? Where are you today? And to be clear, God's not asking this question because he literally can't find Adam and Eve, right? That's not what's happening here. Um, God, in the first two chapters of Genesis before this, has has created the heavens and the earth, has created uh, all living creatures, has created human beings, as the psalmist says, has set the planets in motion. God is all-powerful. God's not coming in the garden going, where are Adam and Eve? I can't find them, right? That's not what this is. Where are you? I'm in Austin, Texas. Check the box. It's not that. The best I can come with this, and I don't know if this is really sacrilegious or not, but the best image I have is when a parent or a babysitter or someone plays hide-and-seek with a young child. You ever done that? Where as the adult, you close your eyes and you count to ten, and then you open your eyes and the the child, or at least my children have done this, uh, like go behind uh, the, the curtain in the same room and their feet are showing beneath it and they're giggling and so the cur- you can hear them and the curtain's moving and then the adult has to do this odd thing where you're like, where's Hannah? I can't find Hannah. She's giggling and you know it's like, mommy, do you know where Hannah is? No, I don't know where Hannah is. And in your mind you're going, is this normal that she thinks she's hiding right now? Is this, is this, you know. But God's not playing a game here. God's asking Adam an incredibly important question for where things are going to go in Adam's life and in the future is, where are you? Can you name where you are? Can you honestly say, this is where I am at this moment? 
Because friends, if you want to change the direction of your life, if you want to change where you're going, it cannot happen until you sit in the reality of where you are. We love making plans, resolutions, strategies, dreams for where I'm going to go. But where are you in this moment? Because like Adam and Eve, we are adept at hiding from the truth of our present circumstances. We have a really hard time. But you can't change your future if you don't know where you are. Think about this in like a medical sense, right? If you're not feeling well and you go to the doctor, you don't want the doctor just going, well, we're going to do this. It'll make you feel better. You're like, you need to know what's wrong with me first. Do I have high blood pressure? Do I have heart disease? Do I have cancer? Like, what do I have? Let's name where we are. We can't start treating and making things better if we don't name where am I today. You can't change your future. As much as we like to run to my dreams for tomorrow, you cannot change your future if you're not willing to name and sit in the honesty of where you are right now. And Adam is able to do something that actually human beings have a very hard time with, which is in the discomfort honestly saying, here's why I am. Adam says, I'm hiding from you. And in that moment of honesty and clarity, I think there's a flicker of hope that maybe things could become different and redeemed in the future. You cannot change where you're going to go if you're not willing to honestly name where you are right now. And we love hiding from that. And so as we begin this year, I want that question to sit with each and every one of us. Where are you today? Where are you physically as this year begins? Where are you relationally as this year begins? Where are you spiritually as this year begins? Are you excited about your faith in God or are you just sort of going through the motions? Having the clarity to name where you are is critically important to if this year is going to look different in any way going forward. And we struggle to name truth. We hide from it. Take this out of an individual sense. Uh, You see this in organizations too. You see this in companies. You see this in churches. Uh, The inability to name where you are and be honest about it. Uh, 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 author that I've read some of that I appreciate some of his insights on, on organizations is an author named Patrick Lencioni. If any of you have read him. He has a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. The five dysfunctions of a team, of a staff, of a company, of a board, uh, whatever it is. And he says one of the most common dysfunctions of any group is what he describes as a lack of conflict. Everything's fine. Everything's good. We're all good. Company's good. Team's good. Staff's good. Leadership's good. Philosophy's good. We're good. Marriage is good. Life's good. Kids are good. Things are good. He says that a lack of conflict in a biblical sense, he doesn't say this, I'm making this trend, is is that basically it's the inability of any organization to just say, here's where we are. There's a, because no matter who you are, where you work, or where you're involved in, nothing's perfect. And healthy organizations will go, this is our flat side. This is what's wrong. This is what we're struggling with. This is what we got to think about in the future. He says, if you can't do that, if there's a lack of conflict because you're worried about ruffling feathers or you just don't see it, those are organizations that flatline and start going down. Conflict is actually a good and important thing. But the reason companies can't do it is it's really hard to name and honestly, here's where we are. 
Great leaders can look differently. Extrovert, introvert, different gifts. Great leadership is not something that you just sort of have a carbon copy of and it just sort of works the same way every time. But one thing great leaders have in common is they're not frightened to look at where they are and where an organization is and where a company is and to try to mine and not hiding from a reality, even if it's hard, but naming where are you. And so the first question God asks of all humanity in the Bible is this, where are you? Where are you today? To illustrate why this is important as we go forward, I don't want us to actually think just about our own lives, but I want to take a second to talk a little about this church, of where we are. And we, are, we I think, are going to be called to go. I think this year, 2023, is going to be a really important year in the life of Covenant. I think this is going to be one of those years that future years will look back on as some really significant decisions, not just for us now, but for future generations. One thing that you may not know about this church is that we have had for the last year, at least, two, and I should have gotten this from 815, I should have known the two task forces for Psy. We've had two groups that have been working uh, on behalf of session, forces, task forces, task forces. That's what it is. It's not a task force I, it's task forces. <laughs> This would be where my wife would let me know that it could be good to have notes, that you've researched this beforehand, that you know the answer to, but that's neither here nor there. That's where I am right now, is should I have notes at this moment. One of those task forces you have probably heard about because it's been going for a number of years now and it's been dealing with the growth on this campus. It was going before the task force, I mean, before the pandemic even set in, and about a month before the pandemic set in, they had made a report to the congregation. And it involved a pretty elaborate plan of refurbishing Eaton Hall so that we could then uh, move into Eaton Hall for a time of worship and, and uh, expand our seating here in the sanctuary because we are tight, in, and not just in worship, as you can see here, and we got people out in the narthex, uh, even in this service now, but we are tight in the children's area, in the youth area. Our children's numbers have bounced back like no other part of our church has. Our children's area is back to what it was pre-COVID, which is as high as it's been in the church. We are cramped for space. Our youth area is flourishing, growing. We are spilling out in a lot of different directions on Sunday morning. And an unacceptable answer is, this is just who we are. That's not an acceptable answer. And I know that previous generations have tried to, to tackle this. I get that. I hear that. That's important. That's good. But we needed to ask it again. So we had this plan of Eaton Hall in here. It's a pretty elaborate plan. But then the pandemic sat, came in. And then after the pandemic, we said, we need to see where we are now. So that plan had been on hold for a little while. That's one task force. The second task force, but, but the first task force has gotten going again, as we've seen, we're tight on space again. The second task force, less people know about. The second task force is a task force that's dealing with how we as a church think about and use technology. And the reason for this is because we had an important moment of saying, where are we as, as leadership when it comes to technology? Uh, this church was, and we're not going to get into this, was very behind the times before the pandemic hit. And we had to flip in a lot of ways very quickly to how you live stream and put everything online from worship to Bible studies to youth group to children's ministry and our staff, our leadership, they did an amazing job of, of going really fast and working this out as we go. But as we came out of the pandemic, there was a conversation that was really important. And every business corporation has had to have this. Every church has to have this, which is 
what should go back to the way it was before and what has changed that we don't want to go back on? There are things we've learned from technology that we need to understand. What should we be using technology for in the life of covenant going forward? And what should go back to being not technology, in person, on campus, uh, in people's homes? How do you think about that? And in discussions, our leadership had a lot of opinions on what we can do. We can be live streaming this. We can be doing that. We can be keeping this Bible study. We can have podcasts. We can do all this stuff. My Menlo Park Church in California does this. My cousin's church in Dallas does it this way. We can be doing all of these different things. And other people are going, no, we can't. We, 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 we don't want to do that. We, we don't want to do this. We can do this over here and, and focus on that instead. And there are all of these conversations and a lot of opinions and a lot of passion. All of the questions were almost always around what can we do? for engagement. But at one point, the question was posed, what should we do and why? Not, we know that technology can help content go out there. It can help engagement. But how are people formed through tech? Can you do Christian discipleship in technology or not? How do you use it and how do you handle And the amazing part is, is we asked that question, our leadership had the courage to say, we don't know. Where are you? We're kind of confused about what we... We can do a lot of things. What should we do, and do we have a framework to think about it and make decisions? How should the children's ministry use technology? And so the leadership had the courage to say, here's where we are. We're confused. So let's stop. And let's ask some questions. And for a year, this group has been working really hard. Here's why I share this. They're about to report in session. They've learned a lot. They've been conducting a number of different, and this sounds weird to say, experiments in the life of our church. Trying technology, not on you, but around the community. Like, how can this work? And we've been learning a lot about what works, what doesn't work. I'm excited about this. But here's what's important. Here's what I want you to know. The second task force on technology and what we've learned has completely changed what the first task force's answer is to how this campus can work. And no one was expecting that to happen. But because of what we've learned by the leadership of this church saying, we're not really certain how to think about technology, we've learned a lot that the campus plan that you're going to be hearing about that is going to allow for growth on this campus as previous years have not been able to done is actually simpler and more elegant than anything that any other year before us could have even conceived of because of the changes in technology in the world around us and what we have learned. We are going to fix this problem this year as never dreamed about before because not that we focused on the growth part, but we had the courage to say we don't know with technology where we are. And a future path has become very clear because we weren't afraid to name where are we. I am so excited about this year and where we're going to go and what it's going to mean. But it started by leaders not pretending they knew. They stopped hiding, we stopped hiding, acting like we were experts and going, we don't really know. And as we said, we don't know how technology should really work. We realized other churches didn't know either. And so we've started asking businesses, we started asking universities, how do you form people? And we've learned so much. You cannot have a sense of where you're called to go in life if you're not willing to say where you are. And we hide from our current realities all the time. Where are you today? 
want to end with this. This week, we're going to invite you to ask that question, to just sit in that question. Where are you? And if you're sitting there right now going, oh, I know, I know the three things. You're not paying attention. This is a hard question. And so what I encourage you is throughout this week to ask it, have this question, where am I? On your mind. But I don't want you to ask it alone. The first thing I think we should do, and I think everybody here needs to pay attention to this, is that I think we need to ask this question with God. Rather than you going, oh, here's where I am, is to say, Lord, where am I? One of the things that I like to, I, I hide. I can convince myself of a lot of different things. Help me to see where I am. Help me to see with your eyes where my relationships are. Help me to see with your eyes where my career is. Help me to see with your eyes where my faith is. Pray about it. Ask God. Listen. Think about it. Journal about it, maybe. However you process this question, but sit in the question and see what the Spirit might breathe into your life. And you might be surprised at what you find. I shared this when I came back from sabbatical. But the most important moment of my sabbatical was three weeks in when I realized I was burned out. When I wasn't tired, when I wasn't just needing a break, when it wasn't just a vacation, but three weeks in when I'm like, I'm burned out. And that's a really scary thing for anyone to admit. It's a really scary thing for a pastor to admit. Because I don't have a job where I can silo that. And yet, saying that out loud, having that revealed to me was when the change started to happen. It was one of the hardest things to do is to say, this is where I am, and I don't know the way out. Where are you? Ask God that question. Sit in that question. God will answer. God will respond. But the second thing is that we ask it in community. What would it mean this week for you not to just ask that question, but ask your spouse, to ask your best friend, to ask your mentor, to ask the people in your Bible study, to ask the people in your small groups, where am I? What do you see? What might I be hiding from? Invite that in. That's the kind of community we want to be. Like a lot of small groups, our small group that we've been turning with for a number of years met before Christmas, and um, we were just kind of, it was just a fun celebrating the year, and uh, we were there, and in the midst of it, we are just sort of light conversation, and I was sharing something about things I was thinking about in the new year, and, you know, I'm a pastor, and so I talk Christianese, and, and was like, you know, like God's leading this, or God's doing this, and one person in my small group just asked this, like, very simple question. Again, power of questions. It's like, I always wonder with you, is it God's calling, or are you just trying to prove people wrong? Which, if you know me, I'm a three on the Enneagram. If you know me, that is the right question to be asking me all the time. That, my wife, if she was here, would be like, or she, I think she might be here, would be saying, that's the right question. Jill, who works with me, would be going, that's the right question. Because I am in all kinds of ways motivated. And people are like, oh, yeah, you can't do that. You're like, Oof. that's like red to a bull for me. Right? Church can't be that way. I don't know if God wants it to be or not, but I'm going to break my neck proving you wrong, even though you're not thinking about it anymore, because I just have this strange need in my head to prove something. To have someone who knows me well enough to go, part of how, part of how I hide is putting Christianese around my competitiveness. To have someone just go, I just think this is a good question to sit in, was like, Phew. that's a friend who loves you well enough not to let you hide. Not telling you what to do. Not indoctrinating you. Just going, here's a question. When I think about you making these kind of decisions. 
What would it mean to ask these questions spiritually with God? And what would it mean to open up your life to a couple of other people and ask them where they see you now? Because this year is full of possibilities for us as a church, as individuals, as families. This year is full of possibilities. But the way to dive deeply into it is to not start with a plan. I'd invite you to consider a question. Where are you? Everything else that God has will flow from that. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you give us the courage to be able to name and sit in the truth of where we are so that we, where we go might be truly spectacular. We pray for your leading and your guiding. In Jesus' name, amen.